Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast, where we help you grow your financial wealth and become a better leader. Today, I'm sitting with one of my standing co-hosts, Alex Stewart of the Market Distillery. Thanks for joining me again today. Happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah, you know, we've kind of been doing a, a run here of quite a bit of episodes, but there's so much to talk about. And in a lot of these episodes, we've been getting uh, some comments about why is real estate, like, why do you guys keep proing real estate so much? Like, I understand there might be like a connection in the banking world, but why, why are you just so asphyxiated on real estate when there's so many other investors? investment models out there, whether it's the equities market, which some of our, you know, listeners have said we've been a little down on here, but, you know, we have our reasons, which we're going to put to the side for today. And also we've even had some questions about crypto in there. And I think we wanted to take a moment today to discuss, you know, the, the, the secrets behind real estate or some of the hidden gems behind real estate and really just talk about some principles that maybe we've adopted, but more importantly, we were taught and learned at a, at a young age that I think were just impressionable on us that, you know, it's kind of expanded to a whole nother conversation, which I think, you know, from an audience standpoint, you're going to see us do some other series on, but we kind of wanted to start with just some fundamentals and some things mm-hmm. that we thought maybe we should use building blocks. Yeah. Maybe just talk about for a minute. Yeah. Well, so we both have rental properties. We're Correct. investors in real estate. How did you get into that? Why don't we start with that? Because I think that story is interesting. Well, I think, you know, for anyone that's that's young and, you know, I owned my first home at a, at a pretty young age there. I think it was like 23 years old. And at the time when I got that, that, that was young. Today, that's, you know, uh, young, even by the standards of a first time home buyer at 32. But um, I bought my first home and, and, and it wasn't my forever home. But the reality was I was always talking that you buy a home and you live in it and then you depart and you go to another home and you maintain that one. Mm-hmm. And I think you have an acronym. What is that called? House hacking. House hacking. That's yep. it. And so, um, you know, the reality was that's that's kind of how I got started. Cool. And just thought of it manifested from there. Right? And you've got how many houses now? Uh, four. Okay. And your houses are in they're mostly? In, yeah, mostly in, in Nashville, Tennessee, Franklin, okay. Tennessee cool. area. You know, I have my primary here in Jacksonville. And, you know, and I think that uh, also, you know, my father-in-law was also a big role in that as a mentor, and he owns quite a bit of homes as well. So that was kind of like one of the major pushes of getting me to understand that, if you may. Is there anything he told you or any <clears throat> sort of influential argument that, that got yeah. you into it? Yeah, one of the things he always taught me was that, you know, the thing about buying a rental property that sometimes gets overlooked or analyzed, you mm-hmm. know, way too much is that, oh, I don't know if I'm getting a deal. I, I want to get a deal the price, I, I want to make sure I got it, you know, the best deal. And then I want to make sure I get the best interest rate. And, uh, you know, you get hung up on it because I just think it's it's, it's just part of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want to be a winner, if you may. Mm-hmm. And one of the principles he taught me was, you know, don't worry about the price and don't worry about the rate. As long as it cash flows, it will always cash flow at what you got that loan at because rents don't go down, they mm-hmm. only go up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's right. Because even on those rental properties that I owned in, Seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Rent didn't go down. Mm-hmm. It maintained, but it didn't go down. Mm-hmm. And to his point, it does go up. Yeah, and that's hard to apply necessarily when you're buying a house to live in. That's your first house. But sure. in general, we both know that if you buy something and you live in it for a few years, that investment usually pans out. Because unlike some other investments that are a little shorter term, you know. Real estate—that's that's a long-term investment for most people. Yeah. So let's break it down. You know, when you look at <clears throat> real estate, if I had a envision as a listener, I have a whiteboard in front of me here, and I'm going to draw three circles or three buckets, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll add a fourth one. But the reality is, you know, one would be cash—cash mm-hmm. cash that you have on hand, and that's your cash to to live your lifestyle, to you know, pay bills, enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then you've got an equities bucket. 
inside stocks, that, right? Exactly. Inside okay. that equities could be stocks. It could be, you know, mutual funds. Yep. It could be ETFs. ETFs all sitting right there. Anything that you can go buy online through a trade platform minus crypto, that's right there. Mm-hmm. Then you got a real estate bucket or circle. Mm-hmm. And there was an adage one time that it should be, you know, you know, 20, 40, 40, right? Mm-hmm. 20 in cash, 40 in equity, 40 in real estate. Mm-hmm. And then that fourth bucket, depending on what part of the audience you wanna, you know, lean towards as an audience member, crypto, right? And, and that's this is a fourth bucket, but you, you can put your own, you know, percentages and where you would like to be, you know, more diverse than others. Mm-hmm. But what we have found is this, as a, and I'm going to spark, in this particular case, I want to kind of talk towards up and coming homeowners mm-hmm. or people that are looking to buy that first home or people that may be disgruntled, you know, and I think we look at the stock market and, you know, depending depending where you are in your life, whether, you know, you heard this in college or you just read about it, you always hear that story of how Warren Buffett started, you know, with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with a very small amount. Sure. And then it just, the compound effect and, and it grew and how he got there. But <clears throat> let's face it, he even deemed a term arbitrage situations, arbitrage moments, meaning there are going to be few moments in time where you're going to have the opportunity to take advantage of the market's woes and grow your money and your your wealth exponentially. Is this the whole invest when people are fearful and and not when they're greedy? Or I think that's I think for him that's just a general this pr- investment principle. Okay. from what I understand, arbitrage situations would be a market crash mm-hmm. and then buying in and putting more into that market crash. The most recent example that we would have seen would have been in March of 2020 when the equity market dipped significantly into the teens mm-hmm. and people that had money on the sidelines that said, okay, I recognize this is an arbitrage situation. Um, you know, when you see a stock like, you know, Apple drop down like it did mm-hmm. just because it didn't do anything wrong and it's sitting on billions of dollars of cash mm-hmm. reserves, people front load and jump into that and then you watch it jump all the way back up. Mm-hmm. That's an arbitrage situation. Yeah, know? so it's almost like a, and something has been an overreaction. That's correct. Right? You know, okay. the one past that would have been, uh, say, you know, 9-11 was another example. You know, when that happened, the stock market suffered significant, you know, losses on, on fear alone and rightfully so, but the airlines and the transportation sector suffered the most. Yeah. You know, and you saw a stock like FedEx drop all the way, way down, way, way down. And people that are front-loaded and bought back into that, that's an arbitrage situation. They've seen it come back. Okay. So th- those are hard to come by, you know. And then there's the, the investment principle that the stock market's going to, on average, average anywhere from 6 to 7% on mm-hmm. average, which is a great tool. You should have some. You should have some money in that. I'm not saying that. But I think what you and I wanted to talk about today was the question that we keep getting online mm-hmm. and from our audience is why, why real estate? You guys are continuing to harp on that. And what we want to talk about was the power of real estate and the leverage of real estate. Sure. And so I think for us, the simple principle of that is let's just start from being a basic homeowner, right? Right. And I think depending on what market you live in, meaning what state you live in, there's always programs that are available for first-time homeowners to get in with little to no money down. Right. So let's lead with that. Yeah, There's the government. Quite a few of them. 
Right. The government traditionally has offered assistance when it comes to down payment because when they look at the SATs and they look at, you know, what's going on in the economy, we know that first-time buyers have credit. We know that first-time buyers have a job and have right. income coming in. What, what we know they don't have is those savings built up to be able to afford that down payment. So that's why these down payment assistant programs are, are really the way that first-time buyers get help. It's not a monthly payment assistance program. It's right. a down payment assistance program. Right. And so, you know, you, let's imagine you're a homeowner. You, you get into one of these programs. But let's assume your state doesn't have one, right? And you have to go the FHA route because mm -hmm. in this case, that's the loan that would allow you to typically put the most, excuse me, the least amount down at three and a half. There are some conventional programs at three, mm -hmm. but let's just assume we're talking about FHA here. Let's assume you're looking at, you know, we'll, we'll tackle our market because we know off the top of our head here. The first time average home price is around four hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah, maybe three fifty. Maybe three fifty, yeah. right? Okay, so three and a half. Percent. Easy math. <laughs> easy math, right? Right. Easy math. We don't have a calculator in front of us, but let's say four hundred thousand yep. dollars at three and a half. You know, is going to be roughly what fourteen thousand dollars, right? So you, as a first time home buyer, put fourteen thousand dollars plus closing costs if you can't get a seller to pay it for you. And then this market, that's questionable at best. You put fourteen thousand plus closing calls. So let's mm -hmm. say, what, what would that be? What do you think that total is on that? Grand Man, total. I mean, I think you're looking at somewhere around six percent total, right? Yeah. So six percent total. So six percent total on, tw on what twenty four thousand dollars? Yeah. Okay. So you got twenty four thousand dollars involved in this first time home at four hundred thousand. Now again, we realize four hundred thousand may be a reach for a first time home buyer, but work with us here on the simple mm -hmm. math, right? Now let's say that property goes up. Now let's use Let's use a modest approach, right? Let's say that property went up 3%. 3%. Again, simple math, $12,000. Right. You put 24000 in. And you made 12000 right. Alex, what's the return on investment? That's a 50% increase. That's a 50% increase on the money that you put in. Now, I'm going to challenge a lot of people. Can you go make 50% mm -hmm. on another investment that carries less risk than real estate in the market today. Yeah, but Quentin, I thought the market was going to crash. Well, you know, clearly we've seen that hasn't happened right. yet. And, you know, and, and to take a minute to pull up a chart here, because I, I figured we would talk about this here. You know, when we take a look at, you know, going back to 1942. Right. I'm looking at, so what is that, 81 years? Something like that, okay. yeah. 1940, 1942, there has been seven years, only seven years of negative return on real estate Two of those seven are negative 1%. Yeah, That's so, flat, by the so way. So we're measuring, just to clarify, January to December mm -hmm. of each year, mm -hmm. and we're saying how much did real estate go up from January to December or how much did it go down? And there's only, there's only said seven, seven times it seven actually times went down. in 81 years. Yeah, so you finished the year at a lower price than where you started the year. And right? two of those seven were 1% loss. That's basically flat. Yeah. That's flat, right? Yep. So when we look at that, that's not a bad place to be. Which the stock market, if I'm not mistaken, is two thirds up, one third down. Correct. I think that's a that's the number Seems that typically comes right. out is you know one third of the years you're going to have a decline and a decline in the stock market. You're talking about ten twenty percent, right? right? I mean that's a it's a much bigger swing. Uh, yeah, and, and and the data source on this is is the is the Case Schillinger Index, right? right? Which is considered like the gold standard of home appreciation. It's measuring right? natural national home prices. Yeah, but in doing such, what I see here is an opportunity, 
and I see an opportunity of, you know, 71 to 72 years of, uh, excuse me, 73 to 74 years of success. Right. Um, hard to argue with, right? Sure. You know, and so when you look at a 50% return on investment in this particular example that we use, you know, I look at this and I'm like, okay, um, yes, you should have your 401ks if your company offers it, especially if they're matching. Yes, you should have some money in equities, you know, because it's it's a good diversification, but you should have a good chunk in real estate. Yeah. And so when I take a look at that, the next example is I think, okay, I bought that first home. Yep. Alex, how long do I have to live in that first home before I decide to go, you know what? Maybe I want to go buy another home that's, you know, I've outgrown this one. Right. Lifestyle change. Maybe I'm looking to get married. Maybe I was married. Now we're going to have a new addition to the family. I need more space. How long do I have to live in that primary before I make that move? Yeah, I think a general rule of thumb is about a year, right? A year, if if right? you lived in it six months and life changed, if you, I mean, tr truly, if you bought it and lived in it two months and life changed, say you got pregnant and had a baby, right. it's not like they're going to necessarily come and say, oh, no, you can't buy another house per right. se. But in general, I would say, you should plan on, hey, I'm going to live there for a year, right. and then we're going to plan on trying to move 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 on to the next thing or next the next house. Right. Life, right. And so in this example, you move on to the next phase of life, you buy a new primary residence, right? right? You're checking the boxes as far as proximity, lifestyle change, where that property is going to be located from the property you owned. All of a sudden, you're buying another home yep. as a primary residence, leveraging the, the home that you're departing now as a rental property. Yep. You now have a rental, and now you're getting into another home with little to no down payment again. Correct. Yeah, compared to the, I think the assumption is you need 20% down Correct. to buy an investment property. But this is a strategy that lets people get in there. This is that house hacking you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah, you are basically continuing to buy primary residences. And we see this, what I love is we see this in the VA community a lot. The, a the lot. military, you know, service members will get stationed here, buy a house, and then get stationed there, buy a house, and they just collect houses along their journey, and they're able to do it with a very few dollars down. Um, and really, you know, if you're a first-time buyer, you get into that first one with the first-time buyer program, yeah, you'll have to deal with that first-time buyer program when you move on, but it's a way to get in the game first. Right. Um, there's there's lots of strategies of how to handle that, but it is something where, you know, stock investing, I think, is very popular because with $100, you can get in, right? That's not the same with a house. With a house, right. you know, you're sort of, it is a little bit of a bigger buildup, but once you're in, that's the hardest one is the first one. Mm -hmm. And then you have this thing where either you can sell it and, and, you know, use that money to buy more things, more houses, or you can keep it and rent it. And it creates a lot of flexibility, but if you're not in the game, you don't get any of the benefit. That's, well, yeah, and let's go back thing. to the very beginning of the conversation where we talked about the fact that you can get into some of these homes yep. with little to no money down. If I'm a new buyer, if, if I'm of a generation that's like, man, being a homeowner is tough because number one, I can't find the property I want, you know, because I have this, this picture in my head of what my first property, what I want it to be, right? Sure. And I think that's another thing. We treat we treat properties as almost like it's a car, like it has to be perfect, it has to be brand new the way that I want it. It's a reflection of you, right? That's correct, reflection of me. Instead of thinking about it as a potential asset when I leave it, because when I live in it and I own it, it's a liability, you know, because really I'm not making income off of it yet, right? Yeah, well, that was some of the best advice I got was when you buy your first house, think about it as, will this be a good rental property? Correct. And and even if it's not a good rental property, what that does for you is it sets you up to where you've got a lot of options when you want to leave. Yeah. If you buy this super unique house 
that nobody would ever rent because either it's really big or it's in this weird location or whatever. Right. It's going to be very difficult to move on from that in some cer- certain yeah. circumstances. But if it is something where you're buying a 2-2 or a 3-2 and mm-hmm. it is in a neighborhood and, you know, those are great rentals and you're going to be easily be able to move on from that when the time comes. Absolutely. So conversations I'm having with my kids right now. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to get them to get their head around. Um, and I can't wait to share some of this stuff later on, but trying to get their head around your first home. It, you're not, it's not your forever home. Highly unlikely. Now, there's possibilities, but highly unlikely. So you're buying it to depart it, to turn it into an investment. While you live in it, again, it's not an investment. It's a liability, but you are, you're treating it as a future asset because you're going to keep it. Right. And so maybe you don't get the home that you want right away. Maybe you don't get the, the, you know, the fourth bedroom that you wanted. Maybe it doesn't have you know, a pool or maybe it doesn't have the features that you want. Good. It's not good. You don't need, you don't want all that anyways for an investment property. No, you don't. You don't want that. So move on down. And I think that just trying to get the ideology of leveraging real estate down the road to become a great asset tool, because here's why. As you're renting that home. Now, remember, we just discussed earlier. Let's go back to that scenario. Mm $400,000. You put $24,000 into it. The first year it went up 3%. Mm-hmm. That's a fifty percent increase on your, or excuse me, return on your investment. Fifty percent, right. right? Right. What happens if that home goes up five percent? Right. It's even bigger. It's even bigger. We're almost at ninety percent return on our investment. Right. Right. It goes up six percent. We're a hundred percent return on our investment. Right. Well, I mean, I'm looking at this chart. There's quite a few years we've been over seven percent. Right. Well, and especially in certain areas where there's a shortage of housing, right? Per year, right? right. Per year. Now, I've departed this now. Okay. I'm using. Now I've gained equity. Right, so I have a couple of options here. I can buy a new primary mm-hmm. with little to no money down. My career has probably changed at this point. At year one, two, maybe three, depending on how long I've been in that house, I'm saving money to buy that next primary. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm now a dual income household. I have a lot more options, mm-hmm. but I also have equity in this home. Mm-hmm. So before I depart that, I could probably go get a line of credit on that home or a mm-hmm. home equity line and use that home equity line as a source of down payment towards the new home that I want to buy. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com, www.boemortgage.com, because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. Yeah, so the idea here is you you grow wealth in this house that you buy to start off with, and there are tools that allow you to yeah. get that money and use it to purchase additional properties, right? Correct. Okay. So we're using, we're leveraging, we're using it, or like I said, we may have those reserves on the side, and we just go ahead and do that based on just household lifestyle growing, right? right. Then I rent this home, and I rent this home, at a premium than what I'm paying the mortgage on. Right. And that now, that differential, I have two options with that. Number one, I can accelerate the mortgage and pay it down. Correct. Right? Which I always advise doing. Or number two, I could put that money into a separate checking account, which is my rental 
income business account that I'm going to treat that like that. And I'm collecting a dividend. Right. So, and if I'm comparing it to a stock, I'm making tremendous return on my investment at 3%. 50% is what that comes out to. If it just, if the home just appreciates 3%, I'm making a 50% return on my initial investment mm-hmm. and a monthly dividend. Right. Name me a stock that does that right now. Right. Yeah, you can't. You, you can't. I think the other thing also that people get concerned about is, um, you know, again, prices of homes falling off a cliff. So I'm going to buy a house and immediately I'm buying at the top and it's going to fall off in a cliff. But we have to realize that is stock market mentality Mm -hmm. that people are applying to real estate. And those two worlds do not mix because stocks, absolutely. You look at what happened with the banking crisis, right? You can wake up and you can have your stock 60% lower. Silicon Valley Bank, right? right? That stock peaked at $600 a share. Today it's 41 cents a share. Yeah. Just, it's like you got just the people tinkering in there just playing Enron with it, right? Buy the dip, baby. Yeah, buy the dip, goes up, whatever. They got some probably some stories going on, on Reddit right now. They're going to blow it up like GameStop. But, I mean, the reality is that's that's going to hit zero soon, right? right? And then that money's gone. Those people that held that at 600, it's gone at 41. Right. We'll say the house goes backwards. I'm looking at the biggest decline on record. The biggest decline on record was at 12% in 2008. Now, I think anyone listening to this knows what happened in 2008. Right. That was a financial crisis caused by real estate, the only one of record, right? right. And I think it's so it's so much – it's in the rearview mirror, but not far enough to where I can't see it, right? So there's still so many people that are in the game and that were, were haunted by that and have financial scars they can see every day on their arms that they basically always think that's coming. Well, and we haven't proven that it won't happen again. So therefore right. it's always going to be what's going to happen again right. until so there's we prove that. Tremendous fear, right? So then you could say, well, well, that happened, right? But the reality is if you didn't sell your home, I was one of those people, I didn't sell my home, mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily lose 12%. You know, you're one of those people, you didn't sell your home, you didn't lose 12%. Right. You know, you can go on and on and on. If you didn't sell it, you didn't lose it. Same concept with the stock, right? If you don't sell it, you don't necessarily lose it unless it goes to zero, then you've lost it, right? Right. Well, the great thing about a house is it's not going to go to zero. Well, and the value of houses are not publicly traded. I mean, Zillow has done a good job of getting us to think of it about that, right. right? We get our monthly updates of the values and we kind of keep up with that. But <laughs> for the most green arrow part, up or red arrow down. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, for the most part, people bought houses, they paid what they paid, they lived in it, and then they found out what it was worth when they wanted to go sell it when they talked to a realtor. And they had no clue in between then, typically. Right. Because they're not paying attention to it because that's not how that, that typically works, unlike a stock, which you're getting prices for on the minute, every minute. Every business day, right? Right. Trades, so, you know, trades, what, eight hours a day? Right. Or seven and a half hours a day, whatever it may be, until, you know, Friday afternoon. Right. But you just got to separate that mentality because you cannot treat real estate like it's the stock market. And, right. And I think what we have is a whole lot of people that went through 2020 and 2021 on social media. They got into trading. They got mm-hmm. into crypto. They, they watched the YouTube videos. They saw the social media accounts. Uh, and they... That's the only thing they know about investing because they've never bought a house. <laughs> and so they apply that men- mentality to real estate, mm-hmm. and it's just not an accurate thing. You cannot transfer no. that because, again, real estate does not move like stocks. It is every house. You know What's interesting about this, right? When you buy a share of stock, it's the same as every other share of stock right. for that company. Every single house is unique. Mm-hmm. So you can make it its own investment. Yeah. It's not going you to be something that's comparable like that. You can't renovate a stock. Right. I mean, you can't. Sure. You can't You can't take it within your own budget and your own power and renovate a stock and go, well, I'm going to add some value to this. Right. You can't. 
You can do that to a house. Right. Within reason, you can do that. I mean, of course you can overbuild, but you can't renovate a stock. Right. You know, the other thing is you also are not in control of that stock and that company, yeah, but you, you're yeah. in control of that house. Yep. You control everything about that house. You know, I mean, aside from a, a God-willing accident, you control everything about that house. Well, and you have insurance in that case. You do have insurance in that case, right? Where's the insurance in the stock market when you buy that stock? And where's the insurance for that uh, the Fed. Silicon Valley Bank? That's for the depositors, not for the stockholders, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, But I mean, but you know, my point is, yeah, it's hard. It's hard for us not to talk about real estate all the time and always promote it as, a, as I'm not going to use the safe haven, but a healthy alternative to other investment vehicles right now, sure. because there are so many opportunities inside that. And, you know, we just described a few where you could go from, you know, primary residence down the line a year, rental property out of that primary residence mm-hmm. into a new rental, pro- excuse me, into a new primary. Now, imagine this. Imagine, I feel like this is a mistake that I made. I wish I would have known this as a first-time homeowner in in my early days when I had the luxury to do this. I would have bought a duplex or a quadplex. Yeah. I absolutely would have gone Meaning and Meaning a two-unit or a three-unit. I would three have bought a three-unit or a two-unit or a four-unit under an FHA guideline. Mm-hmm. Again, three and a half percent down. Yep. I've got, in a multi-unit being four, I've got three other pieces of rentals inside this one property that I could rent out. I'd be in that joker for a year. Mm -hmm. I'd use that leverage to go buy a primary residence, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would have had a four unit that I could rent at an FHA loan at three and a half percent down. And I wouldn't, I mean, uh, yeah, it might not be in the area where I wanted it. It might not, but I'm not going to live there forever. Right. I'm there for the, for the, this is a liability until I turn into an asset. But guess what? Day one on a multifamily or a duplex or a triplex, that's an asset. Yeah. You're renting it. Absolutely. You know, it's either a 50% asset, a 66% asset, or excuse me, yeah, 66.6 or, or a 75% asset. You know, I, day one. Right. And then I would have moved into a primary residence. And you talk about the uh, the upgrade, you know, and you talk about uh, the, the change in lifestyle being taken off the table. There's no questioning. Oh, well, why are you moving? Well, because I'm moving out of my multi-unit into a right. primary residence. Oh, okay, no yep. problem. You know, and I mean, that to me is like one of the, if it's so, that's an empowering move right there. You know, and I think if you could get a generation, which I am absolutely encouraging, you right. know, my children to understand like this, because I think that is one hell of an opportunity yeah. to make that. Now, you might have people go, well, good luck finding it. You're right. You're <laughs> there. Other people have jumped into that before we even thought about it. There's almost a lot of that inventory is taken up. It doesn't mean it won't come back. It just as of right now, it is hard to find. But if you can find it, it might be a great opportunity. Well, in certain areas, if we look at the Northeast, there's a tremendous amount more of this type of property sure. than in the Southeast, right? Yep. Or in the West. Yeah. There, I'm going to look something up while you're talking. Yeah, yeah, the Northeast is full of these these multifamily properties. And so it's far more common to be able to do this in those areas. Um, but it is the fastest way to grow wealth. Mm-hmm. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is if they're concerned about, oh, well, how could I ever afford a 400000 or 600000 uh, multifamily. Well, when you go to get that loan, you get credit for the rental income on that property for all the units that you're not going to live in. So right. if if it is a four-unit property and the appraiser says these would all rent at $1,000, well, you got $3,000 a month times 75%. So that comes out to, what, 2500 something mm-hmm. like that. Um, in income, it's going to offset your payment. 
And anybody that typically buys something like this, yep. I would wager to say the numbers are always going to work out to where the rent's going to outweigh your payment and you're going to live for free. Yeah, no doubt. Charlie, I, I know you're sitting over there on the producer's table, but I kind of can't wait to see your expression on this when I say this. A four-unit property, FHA loan, means you only got to put 3.5% down. Mm -hmm. Now, in every county, this is different in the United States. I'm going to use Duval where we're sitting right now, and then we'll, we'll pick a county and do it in another state. It's $1 million. $12,900. That's the, that's the loan limit. $1,012,900. Yep. Now I know some people are going, going, well, you might not be able to find it for a million dollars, but I bet there's some areas in this town where you can. And, and the connecting counties are also a million twelve nine hundred for a four unit property. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so just to kind of simplify and, and reiterate that a little bit, if somebody wants to buy a four unit property in our area, mm -hmm. it, they can actually go all the way up to a million dollar property and people might say, well, I could never afford that. Well, again, don't forget, you're going to get the rental income from those other units towards your loan and and you don't have to make all the money to be able to afford that. That's you really right. just need to be able to afford oh, your fourth. Oh, and by the way, that's three and a half percent because you're like, dude, three and a half percent of a million dollars, that's $35,000. That can be a gift. That can come from all kinds of different places. Right. You know, I mean, there is a just a ton of opportunity here right. on that particular area that I think we just, you know, this is why we're so high on real estate, if you may. Yeah, if you've got a 401k that's allowed to be able to take a loan from or to pull the money out of to use, and a lot of people might look at that and go, well, I'd much rather invest in real estate with something like that, and that's that's a valid way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just, let's pick another state. Let's go the opposite of the spectrum. Let's do California. Okay. California, here's another we'll one. We'll go is, from the right coast to the wrong yeah, coast. Yeah, there it is. So we'll take a look at it here. So in California, we'll go would say, we're just, again, same concept. Uh, let's pick a county here. Let's just start with, I don't know, let's go to Sacramento, right? Okay. If you go to Sacramento, it's 1.468. Yeah. So another multifamily at 1.468. Now, they're, you know, not knowing Sacramento like I do Jacksonville, that may be unheard of, but right. I'm sure there's some areas, right? And my point is, you can go through this on any, any, you know, any county anywhere. Yep. And the reality is there is a ton of opportunity to take advantage of this. Yeah. Well, and the same thing when it comes to leaving the house, people go, well, I couldn't have, couldn't ever afford two houses. Right. So how, how would I buy a house and move on to the next one? Well, uh, similar sort of thing here. If you are going to buy a new house and live in it, if you can get a lease on the house you own currently, 12-month lease, and you get a security deposit in the bank, then you get credit for 75% of that lease amount. Right. So again, that's going to offset your mortgage payment on that house, and you only really have to afford one house in that case. Yeah, and I think what the point we're trying to illustrate is there is a phenomenal amount of options that you can do inside of real estate. Right. There's limited amount of options you can do in the stock market and in the crypto market. Right. I mean, obviously, I know you can stake in crypto. Obviously, I know you can have, you know, you can short things and go long, have puts and calls. I realize that. But I mean... At some point, those you got about five, you got about uh, five, six, seven things in your in, in right. your bag of tricks over there on that side. On this side, it it's really I'm not going to say it's endless. I'm just going to say there are a lot more than that. Well, and on the risk tolerance thing, so you know, if you talk to a financial advisor, the first conversation they're going to have with you is, "What? what tell me about your risk." Yeah. Well, in this case, we're talking about. Housing is one of the least risky options. I mean, when you look at what's risky about buying a, a property and living in it is, okay, well, does something break? Well, there's something called a home warranty that's going to cover a lot of your yep. major components so that you can cover your risk there, plus you have insurance on it. So mm -hmm. if, if a tree falls on your house, great, you're not out. Um, if 
the prices don't move like stock market does. So there's not this volatility of, hey, I'm going to wake up and my house is going to be worth yeah. 50% less than I bought it for. That's that's unheard of. We've never seen that happen Correct. unless there's some sort of, again, a catastrophic event of, you know, uh, a train derails in Ohio. Those property values might be a little little less. Right. But but in general, that's not not the case. So when it comes to investing, I know when I looked at this, how do people make the majority of their money throughout time? We see it's they own land, they right. own real estate, yep. they invest in real estate. And so uh, it is proven throughout time. And uh, as Snoop Dogg says, if you don't own real estate, you don't own anything. <laughs> he probably says it another way, if I recall the <laughs> quote exactly. But I'll tell you this, and he's right. Here's another thing. Here's some mistakes that landlords or investors make, right? So you buy a property and let's say you bought this property in 2018 mm -hmm. and now you've converted it to a rental in late 2019. What happened in 2020? Boom, we had a jump in, in appreciation. 21 mm -hmm. as another jump in appreciation. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you start going, well, wait a minute, I could sell this home and make, you know, anywhere from six figures plus because that's what a lot of people happened, right? Mm -hmm. I could sell it and I could, I could take that money in and all of a sudden that big number gets in your head. Well, you just liquidated an asset. You just got rid of an asset. So that's mm -hmm. one. That's one of the things. Because a lot of renters don't, st or excuse me, a lot of of investors don't hold the long game in mind when doing this. And so I want to talk a minute about the long game because the long game is this: you want to talk about controlling your retirement. You mm -hmm. want to talk about retiring independently and not worrying about is there going to be Social Security. Is there going to be enough 401k in my bank? Because, or excuse me, in my 401k account? Because here's what happens. If you got rental properties, and let's mm -hmm. assume you have three, and let's use the average rent here in Jacksonville, which is around 1700 right? Mm -hmm. So 1700 times three is what? Oh, that, give me 41? That nah, probably sounds right. right. Yeah, 41, 51, right? 51. 51. Yeah, so 5100 The amount of money that you would have to have, that you would have to have, in an account to yield $5,100 a month. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Sure. That's a whole lot. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to venture to say that's going to be somewhere north of seven figures. Yeah. You're saying right. basically to earn interest on that money, to, earn interest to get that, on much that money, monthly income, to get right. that much monthly income without an asset depletion, right? You don't necessarily, I mean, you could deplete your assets and get that, but I'm saying to maintain you mean, your assets. You sell them, right? Yeah. But I mean, to maintain the, 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 Money the value in the of in the checking account, if you may, or whatever investment tool you have, you know, without depleting the base value of that, you're going to have to have north seven figures, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this. You don't have to do anything on real estate. Once that's paid off, that's yours. Right. Right. Once you've paid that off, that's yours. And again, you own it. The other thing is you have the ability to borrow against it again. Right. Or if you see another investment opportunity, borrow against it and go buy another investment opportunity. You know, and it really is a way to control and your your retirement future as much as your investment future. Right. And I think a lot of times that's overlooked because I I think I look at okay, where am I going to go invest where I can yield that kind of return at a very low risk proposition. Yeah, and control with the the, the investment, right? right? You actually know what's going on. You can pick it. You see what kind of neighborhood it is. You yeah. have the ability to fix it up, all that stuff. Yeah, and, and I know renters hate it when you say this. Uh, and I mean this by no disrespect, but the reality is you're using someone else's money to pay down your your sure. liabilities, right? Sure. And you're leveraging that. And that's just the harsh truth of what it is, right? Yeah. But that's because that market's there and it's been there for quite some time. 
and it's not going to go away. Renter's market, that is. Well, and you, nobody should really ever get bothered by that as long as somebody is taking care of the house and correct. creating a good place for somebody to live. It solves both of their problems, that's right? Correct. It's just like a business making a profit on anything. Well, you don't they, get mad at the profit. Right. It's a service that, that both people are appreciating. Right. So. I mean, and the other thing is, I think it's real important you may say, treat it like a business. Right. Yeah, that's why you have separate checking accounts for each property. You treat it like a business, right? right? And so if there's a problem, you fix it immediately. If there's something that needs to be done, you fix it immediately. Like, you know, we were uh, before the show we started, I was showing you, I was like, well, we just got done landscaping one of our rental properties because, mm-hmm. you know, the renters made mention that uh, they wanted it to look a little nicer. So we sent someone out there right away, and, and that, that's to your point. You fix it right away. You right. make it the way that they want it to look, and, you know, you handle it like a business. Yeah. There. So but before we wrap up, I want to um, share three books that I would recommend if somebody's interested in real estate or okay. wants to learn more because this is how – I started to learn about it and get into it. And I bet one I can is, guess the first one. I was going to say. You Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There you go. Yep. Rich Dad, Poor Dad's the first one. It's by Robert Kiyosaki, and it is more about how to think about all this, right? right. It is whenever anybody's Great asked book. about real estate, that's typically the book they yep. reference. Um, the other one is The Infinite Game by yep. Simon Sinek. Great book. Um, it, it's less real estate, but it's like you said, it's focused on the long game. And yep. the idea here is think long term. And if you think long term, truthfully, investing in general is a good idea. Yep. Uh, and then the last one is The Millionaire Real Estate Investor ah, by Gary Keller. Love that book. Um, it, it covers the variety of ways to invest. It will. It's a good manual on how to do it. Gives you a lot of the tactics. Yeah. And so, if you had those three books and you read those, I think you would walk out of that and say, "Okay, I am pretty well versed in all of this and very comfortable compared to where I was before." Yeah. And I think we missed one critical thing in this, and I need to make sure that we're very, very. Um, how can I say it? Uh, doing a good job of stressing this. You need to have a very good relationship with a great agent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so overlooked. Like I, I look at how th- I acquired the properties I got. It's because I had a great real estate agent. Right. And I know the same thing goes for you. Yep. I can't say enough about that. You want to pair yourself with a great real estate agent and then pair yourself with a great lender. Right. You know, and I think the combination of those two bring together the team and then maybe a great property manager. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you got a dynamic force there. And it's a, it's, it's literally, it's turnkey at that point. Yeah. But the thing about having a great agent is they know when properties are coming on the market. They may have a distressed seller. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And mm-hmm. if you're the first call they can make, boom. Well, and you don't have to do all the work. You, you have this round table of experts around you. Right. Yep. Right. And I think that that's just a, a it's a, that's a huge thing to have. And I think it's a great team to assemble as you're getting into this and it really makes your life easier as you look to move on to future investments. Well, you've convinced me. I think I'm going to go invest in some real estate. <laughs> oh man, I know it didn't take much. It's a, uh, it's, I know you currently already own some, so I know that it didn't take much there. So Alex, thanks for always being on the show. I know this was a different show that we did today. We're not kind of breaking down any type yeah. of, you know, future economics and forecasts in nature, but we did get a lot of questions about this and we yep. did kind of get a lot of, uh, you know, feedback online about why are you guys so into this? What's in it for you mm-hmm. guys? And I think what's important is that like nothing's in it for us. Like we're just passionate about this and we want more people to understand it because we talk to people so much throughout the days that they've missed the mark on this because um, it's not being thought about the right way or it's not been brought to light about the right way. And that's what we want to encourage with this podcast today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad I could do it. Yeah, man. Thanks for being on the show as always. 
So obviously this was a different show than what we normally do. But if you like to hear more like this, if you would go on Apple Podcasts, rate us five star, leave us a review, go on Spotify. If you haven't been on Spotify recently, they're actually airing our videos on there. And they also have Q&A and polls on there as well to get more feedback, which is what we got a lot of this from to do this podcast. And then if you would follow us on our socials at the handle of what's your one more with the number one, what's your one more. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put them all into it, yeah.